which comes from Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read verses 22 through 30 uh, in the ESV. Um, We encourage you to find the scripture in in your own Bible or Bible app. Uh, We're also going to project the scripture, and I will read it for us. Again, it's Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 30. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. Jacob took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, uh, today's message, we're continuing uh, our sermon series, Firm Foundation. Today's uh, title uh, of the sermon is The Blessing of Enough. Uh, The last few weeks, we've been been inspired by this book. Uh, Well, the sermons have been uh, partially inspired by the book uh, by Tim Keller. It's called Counterfeit Gods. So I just want to mention that again. Uh, this is the last week we'll, we'll be uh, addressing the content in that book, but uh, it's been very relevant to what we've been talking about here. Um, but uh, yeah, so throughout this whole uh, pandemic, I feel like there are ways in which there are like truths in my life that I know, uh, but sort of have been tested again. And so I'll k- kind of give you an example um, that uh, it's one of these things where we are supposed to know this truth, right? Uh, Today's message is about the blessing of enough. God is enough. Nothing else will satisfy like God. Can I get an amen? Amen, right? Nothing else will satisfy as much as God. But there are ways that I I think for me where um, I've preached that message so many times and I believe that, uh, but there are times where it's like my actions don't always line up to that. So I'll give you an example that um, I I like to play video games. And for a while, I was like accumulating so many video games, thinking like, oh, you know, this is the latest game, or I heard this game was really cool. Um, You know, I I think this game will be a lot of fun. And I found that I was buying all these games, but I wasn't playing them, you know? And I have games like literally that are like 10 plus years old that I haven't played yet. And so I kind of made this deal with myself that... I wouldn't uh, buy any more new games until I played the old ones. So I literally have been going through games that, uh, like I said, are like a decade old, and I've been playing them, right? And, and so I'm like, okay, cool. And then, you know, I get these games that I've been s- sitting on my shelf, and seriously, some of them are like still in the plastic. I haven't unwrapped them yet. You know, so it's like new to me. And people are like, yo, you haven't played that game? Like, where have you been? It's like, well, I'm, I'm working through it, right? I'm working through the catalog. But... During this pandemic, I got to tell you that for a while, I started buying like all these new games again, 
you know? And it's not that I was getting all caught up with the old games. It's like there's a part of me that's like, oh, you know, like, like I'd feel restless where I, I, I would feel like, you know, I need something. I need something that's going to be exciting, you know? Like maybe if I get that game, that game will fulfill me. That game will, you know, give me some excitement or, or be a lot of fun to play at night, you know? Um, I was having some trouble sleeping, getting restless, and, you know, kind of putting my hope, in a way, it sounds funny to say, but putting my hope in these games to give me that enjoyment. And so I, I got to be honest, like, like I totally, you know, broke that promise I made my, with myself to not buy any new games until I finished the old ones. I was buying all these games, you know, for a while. And uh, um, yeah, I mean, there's even this game that uh, <laughs> I'll show it to you guys here. It's called Ring Fit Adventure. I thought this was going to be great because it, it, it combined like exercise and video games. I'm like, what could be better? And apparently like everyone thought that. And so it was like sold out for a while. Like, like it's actually not a very cheap game. It's like 80 bucks normally, but it was going for more than $300 at the beginning of the pandemic because everyone had the same idea as me apparently. And I remember um, like, like I was like seriously like a man on a mission. This was like my white whale where I'm like, I'm going to get this game. You know, I'm going to figure it out. And so I would go on to like websites where um, like they would tell you if things were in stock on different websites or in, in different distributors and stuff. And, and, you know, I would check there like every day to see if it was in stock. And there would be people who would give you tips. And eventually I actually bought it on a French website. It was like I had to like Google translate it because it was all in French. And uh, it, it took like two months to ship it. And, and just, you know, I, I thought for a moment that maybe I got ripped off, but, you know, eventually I got it. But I remember as I was waiting for it to come, you know, and, and it was like, it, it was like taking forever. Somebody asked this question on the forum where, where you know, you know like, like a lot of people are giving you advice and, and, and talking about their experiences. And someone was like, hey, anyone who actually has the game now, is it fun? Are, are, are you, like, like, was it worth it, all this trouble? You know, and that's kind of the funny thing is that, like, for a lot of people, like, we didn't even stop to ask that question. Is it really going to be worth it? And then someone <laughs> posted something that, like, I, I just kind of ignored, but they were like, eh, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I waited all this time to get it. It was just okay. And to be honest, since we've had this game, I, I think, like, our family has played it maybe, like, three times. You know, I actually was going to take a picture of the actual box uh, to show you guys in the sermon, but I couldn't find it. I don't even know where it is anymore. And friends, is this the way of the things that we put our hope in, you know, that they don't last, they don't satisfy us. But this is the thing. This is not the first time you've heard this, right? We know this. I, I've uh, uh, preached a message like this many times, and one of the stories I tell a lot, I think it's worth hearing again, especially if you haven't heard it, is that they've done this research with like lottery winners, people who win the lottery, right? Of course, like we think this is going to be this fantastic experience. It's going to fulfill you and satisfy you and make you happy, you know? And it does at first, right? Of course, people are really happy. And so researchers, you know, they ask people, like a week after they win the lottery. Are you happier? And of course, their happiness is off the charts. But then they check in a year later. And what they find is that happiness has pretty much returned to normal levels. 
almost exactly the way they were before they won the lottery. Now, if you do any kind of self-reflection on any of the experiences, you buy something online, or there's something that you really wanted, some experience you were really looking forward to, and after it passes, a lot of us, we don't really reflect on it, but if you do, you'll probably find the same thing, that the enjoyment doesn't last that long. How long are you excited about that thing that you were saving up money to get? That vacation that you thought was gonna be all that? How long did it last, really? Couple days? Few hours? Maybe a week tops? But then it fades. And again, brothers and sisters, I'm trying to tell you, I'm the same way. I know this truth up here, but it doesn't stop me from trying to buy a stupid ring fit adventure, you know, and thinking that it's going to be all that. So, what is the disconnect, right? I mean, it, it seems as if just knowing that Christ is supposed to be enough, right? I mean, we, we sing songs like that. Christ is enough for me. We sang it last Sunday. Do you remember that? Was Christ enough for you this week? Or is it just a truth that lives up here, but hasn't completely permeated into your whole life, right? And, and you know, this experience of things will never be enough, right? You know it. It's, it's something that we all experience. Um, last week, I talked about songs, love songs. And, uh, uh, you know, I wanted to show you a song. It's not necessarily just about love, um, but uh, 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 it's a song from a movie that I, I've really enjoyed a lot. Our family really likes it. It's called uh, The Greatest Showman. And there's this song called Never Enough. Do you guys know this song? It, it kind of like echoes the themes of the movie, if you guys haven't seen it. Uh, pretty catchy song. Never be enough. Never. Sorry, it's it's much better than the way I'm making it sound. But I just wanted to show you. Uh, this is the chorus. It goes: All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky, will never be enough. Never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world but it will never be enough, never be enough for me. And what, what the movie is about is this guy, P.T. Barnum. It's a, a, a very highly fictionalized version of his, his life, but he's this guy who grew up very poor, um, and, and he always wanted to be very successful. He ends up uh, marrying the, the daughter of a very rich man, and he kind of, like like, you know, because he was poor, he felt like he had to prove something to her father and to himself. And, and so he wanted to make something of himself. So he ends up starting the circus. He ends up becoming, you know, very rich. But at the same time, you know, people kind of make fun of him because, you know, like, like the circus, they have like, like kind of like a freak show with people who um, are, are very odd by the society standards. And so he's still like not accepted into formal society. Um, and basically, you know, all of these things that he keeps, you know, he keeps like going up uh, rungs in the ladder, you know, getting his own business and getting rich and getting the esteem of people. And that's the message of, of the, the movie is in the song. It will never be enough. Never, never, ever. It won't satisfy him. Right. And, and that, that one line, I think, is so interesting. These hands could hold the world, could have everything this world has to offer, and it still 
will never be enough. How do we really believe this truth and live out knowing that the answer, I mean, you guys all know this, right? You know that the answer is that Christ is the only thing. God is the only thing that can truly satisfy you. I talked about this last week, the Augustine quote, uh, that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. But how many of us, even Christ believers, are still restless? We're still searching. Sorry, one more song. I, I, yeah, I lied. I said there was no more songs. But there, there's, a, um, there's an old U2 song that even talks about, um, you know, you, you could know God and all these things, but, but the song is called, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And, and there's a line in it um, where they talk about, you know, I believe that Jesus carried the cross in all my shame. I know I believe it, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Is that us? How do we really know that truth, that only God is enough? That's what today's story is about. You you see this guy Jacob that we've been talking about, that we talked about last week, and you see in Jacob uh, that his whole life he is grasping for something that will satisfy him. It's what his whole life is about. So he makes a very interesting case study. From the very beginning in in, in his life, uh, when he was born, he was a twin, right? And he comes out and and Esau is born like slightly before him. And what we're told in the Bible is that as Esau is, is, is coming out, that Jacob, like from the womb, grabs his brother's ankle, you know? It's like, wait, no! (laughs) You know, that there's this kind of struggle that's been going on his whole life, and it started from the very beginning. But basically, because Esau was supposed to be uh, the firstborn, that uh, what would happen in in, uh, biblical times is that the firstborn would receive uh, the majority of the share of the inheritance. So they would get a double portion. So he would get two-thirds of the inheritance, uh, because there's only two sons, and, and um, uh, Jacob would, would only get one-third, even though it was just the difference of a few minutes, you know, uh, at most. But because Esau was older, he would get the majority of the blessing. And, and so there's this story, which, you know, you've probably seen in Sunday school, you, you probably remember it, where Jacob basically tries to steal Esau's blessing. Right? It's a very odd story. You, you, you hear that Isaac's very old, so he can't see well, and uh, Esau was very hairy. So Jacob, like, he puts, like, animal skin on his arm, and, and he tries to pretend like, like he's, he's uh, uh, Esau. And, and you know, uh, Isaac gives the blessing. He, he like, you know, touches uh, Jacob's arm. He's like, oh, you're hairy. You must be Esau. Right? And he blesses him. But this is the thing, you know, and, and for a lot of us, when we read this story, maybe you're thinking the same thing. You're like, okay, Jacob, why would you do this? Because do you think Isaac is really going to give the double share to Jacob now? Right? Isn't this just kind of more ceremonial and symbolic? Maybe. I don't know that Jacob ever really does receive the double portion. But it's almost as if for Jacob, you know, that, that for him, he was so desperate to get his father's approval. 
that he was willing to, you know, go to these lengths uh, uh, to deceive Isaac. And what you find out is that Esau, when he sees what Jacob's done, that that uh, Esau like swears, he, he makes an oath. He's like, I'm going to kill you, Jacob. Right? So he totally jeopardizes his relationship uh, with his brother. And I mean, you know, probably with his dad too, because he deceived him. For what? For what? But you see this in Jacob. His whole life, he's a striver, right? He's somebody who's always grasping. It's never enough for him, right? And and so, you know, you got to think. Like, maybe for some of us, we can kind of relate to that, to to Jacob's life. You know, um, kind of feeling like, you know, he's in Esau's shadow. You, You actually hear that Esau is like a great hunter, you know, like, like he's, you know, maybe by his society standards, like a manly man, you know, and Jacob kind of like looks at him and resents him and probably does resent. I mean, there's probably this pain in knowing that his dad favors his brother over him, right? So there's this insecurity. There's this lack within Jacob. And, and so what you find out um, is later, much, much later, after uh, Jacob goes and spends 20 years with Laban, and, and he ends up, you know, picking up two wives along the way and 12 sons, right, and all these servants. A lot of stuff happens in his life, but he is told, uh, God tells him to return to his homeland. And when he goes to his homeland, um, he finds out that Esau hears that he's coming because he sends out, like, scouts to go. And Esau, when he hears that Jacob is coming, he sets out with a whole bunch of men, like hundreds of men to meet him. Now, if you're Jacob, what is the conclusion that you draw from this? Esau is coming with an army to kill me. Remember, he swore. He swore that he would kill Jacob. You know, And so Jacob is afraid, rightly so. right? And so you see this whole story that plays out in Genesis 32, where um, Jacob makes these plans. You know, he, he's like, okay, I'm going to try to appease my brother. So he sends a bunch of servants, and they bring him, like, all this livestock and all these gifts to try to, like, soften him up. And then he even makes this plan where he divides his family into two, right? And this kind of messed up, but if you guys remember the story last week, it, it'll kind of make sense. He puts Leah in the front, <laughs> and then he puts Rachel in the back because... He, he liked, he, he loved Rachel more, right? So he's like, okay, if Leah's family gets attacked, then, you know, the rest of us can kind of make a run for it, you know? And so Leah will kind of like absorb the brunt of the attack. It's kind of messed up, but he's just trying to think practically. He's like, it's better that half of us escape rather than all of us get killed. And so the night before the fateful encounter, where uh, Jacob is going to meet up with Esau. And so basically, you know, he sends his wives away, and, and he's like kind of thinking to himself, he's like, okay, you know, um, I, I, I need to just kind of face Esau uh, on my own. And um, he's by himself. And that night is where we pick up the story that we read. Um, so he, he took them, and he sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And we're told that a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. 
This is a very, very instrumental story in Scripture. This is actually where Jacob gets the name Israel, right? So it's a very, very important story. But it's actually kind of fascinating how little details you get, right? We're just told that a man shows up. How did he show up? Did he show up out of nowhere? Did he float in from heaven? I don't know, just a man starts wrestling it with him. It's, it's kind of weird, right? And they wrestle until the breaking of the day. Who is this man? Well, you get some clues. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. So Tim Keller says that um, the Hebrew word for touch here is like the smallest, slightest little tap, right? He just like barely touches him, and then boom, his like hip goes out of the socket. Right, so that's your first clue. There's something different about this dude, right? And you, you find out, right, that this man was holding back, right? The implication is that the, the, whoever Jacob is wrestling is much more powerful than him, right? He's kind of like letting Jacob be in the contest. It's like, I, do you ever like wrestle a kid, you know, or like wrestle your dog or something? And it's like, of course you could win, right? Like when I would wrestle my kids, like when I was younger, of course, I could be like, pinned you, you know, <laughs> but at the same time, we're just playing, you know, and so I kind of like, oh, you got me, ah, oh, you know, and it's almost like this, this guy who we find out is actually God is doing that with Jacob. Ah, oh, Jacob, you got me, <laughs> you know, um, but when the man saw that Jacob wasn't going to give up, right, he, he touches his hip socket, and then he says, let me go for the day has broken. Now, I used to read this as like, God's like, I got to go, I got to go, I got things to do, I got to run the universe, you know? But that's a little weird, right? Remember, he just merely tapped his hip and the socket comes out. So you're like, uh, or, or the joint comes out of the, the socket. So um, you know that God could overpower Jacob. So what is this whole business about let me go for the day has broken? So this is the thing. Why is it the day that's important? So if you remember, any time people would encounter God, they would be afraid. Why? Because if you saw God's face, you would literally die. So what is God trying to say? He's like, yo, it's, it's getting light out. The sun's going to come up, and if you see me, in my unshadowed glory, you will perish, Jacob. So that's why he's saying, let me go, right? But Jacob says something kind of interesting, <laughs> kind of crazy. He says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Okay, so maybe at this point, right? I, like, like, of course, why would Jacob say that, that he wants this person to bless him? Why is that important? Because I think at this point, he knows it's God. At this point, he knows it's God. And God has just told him, you got to let me go, Jacob, or you will die. And Jacob's like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. It's kind of crazy. But friends, you see in Jacob a, a, a very kind of unique desperation, right? Now, again, I got to ask the question, what is the big deal about blessing? So this is the thing. Remember, Jacob goes to this huge length to get his father to bless him. 
But Jacob doesn't stop being the schemer that he is. He doesn't stop striving. It's as if that blessing wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. But now he's come to this point in his life where he's like, okay, I've tried everything else. Remember last week? I mean, he's got like two wives and, and they're, they're, they're handmaidens and he's got all these kids and he has all this material success in the eyes of that modern world, right? People would be like, Jacob, you are a big deal. You have everything you want. But he realizes something in this moment. What he truly wants now more than anything, what he truly needs is the blessing of God. And he's not going to let go until he gets it. Even if it costs him his life. And so we're told that uh, um, God says to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. His name is now about the, the strife, the, 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 the struggle, how he won't let go, right? And Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he says, why is it that you ask my name? Don't you know? Don't you know by now? Wasn't the hip socket thing enough for you, right? Don't you know by now? And, and why would you ask me for a blessing? It, it, like, like, like Jacob's like, I think this is God, but, but I just kind of want to hear it for myself. You know, but he's like, don't you know now? Don't you know? But we're told that God blesses him. What does he say? Again, we're not told a lot of details. But something changes for Jacob. It forever changes his destiny, this encounter that he has with God. Whatever it was, whatever that blessing was, which blessings in the Bible, um, in this context, are usually spoken. So God probably spoke some words over him. Was it like the blessing that Jesus received when he was baptized in the Jordan? You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I mean, can you imagine Jacob, whose father didn't love him as much as Esau, who always felt less than, always inferior to Esau, to hear, you are my son. Love you. I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. It's not because of what you've done, Jacob. This is who you are. Now, you are the person who holds on to God and will never let go. That is who you are from now on. And so, I mean, you know, Jacob gets it, right? I mean, make no mistake, he knows what just happened. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. He knows that you know, like maybe in the first, like like dawn, uh, the, like like the light is kind of gray. He sees a little glimpse of God's face, but he knows that if he had seen God in the fullness of the day, he would be dead. He knows that. He knows that he's fortunate, right? And yet, he has been delivered in more ways than one. It's not just that his life was spared, but in some ways, Jacob's life is given back to him 
in a new way. And so what, what you find is in the rest of the story um, that, that Esau actually didn't have bad intentions. It was a welcoming party. And, and when he meets his family, he's like so overjoyed. And, and they hug and they embrace and they reconcile. And Jacob still wants to give something to Esau. But I want to show you something that I thought was kind of cool. So this is in verse th- uh, Genesis 33, the very next chapter. And so Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? So remember that he sent out the servants ahead of time with all the livestock and the gifts to appease Esau. And Jacob answered, to find the favor, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Why doesn't Esau kill Jacob? Something happens with Esau. We don't hear the, the story of Esau's story, but it would be so fascinating. There seems to be something in Esau that has come to peace. You know, maybe for years he was angered at what his brother did to him, trying to steal his blessing, you know? But at some level, Esau has found peace where he realizes that, you know, these things of the world, the blessing of people, is never going to satisfy him. What's more livestock going to do? What's more money going to do? And so he says those words to Jacob that I think, you know, we would all hope to say. But he says, I have enough. I have enough. This is something you see echoed uh, in Scripture, you know, even in the New Testament. Uh, This is what Paul says, where Paul was uh, a missionary. He was, uh, uh, people would sometimes send him gifts, uh, money to support his ministry. And, um, you know, he he was thanking the Philippians for sending him a gift. But he, he says this in the same breath. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Uh, Philippians 4.13 is often used by athletes and, and a lot of us in our striving culture, in our culture of not enough, where we feel like we have to have great achievements. We're like, yeah, I can do all things you know, all great things through Christ who strengthens me. But it's very interesting because the context that he's talking about is actually learning to be content, learning to be able to say it is enough. And this is what Christ enables Paul to be able to do, something that so few of us in this society are ever able to do. If you've heard messages like this before, you may have heard me say that basically, you know, a lot of us, we look around and, you know, even though we are uh, uh, probably the wealthiest civilization that has ever lived, the reason why it's never enough, I mean, you're always like kind of comparing yourself to other people, right? Other people in your relative like income class. And this is the thing, you can always find people who have more, always. This is why it's never enough because, I mean, if you live in America, I mean, you're already like at least like top 5% in the world just by living in America. But we are not comparing ourselves to people who are dirt poor. Um, 
in another country. We're comparing ourselves to the neighbor down the street who has a better car than us, who has a bigger house than us, right? And for this reason, when people are asked, how much money is it going to take for you to finally be content? For What is enough for you? And it almost doesn't matter how much money you make. Almost every single person says about 20% more than what they have. Even if you're super rich or if you're poor, it's always, there's just something more that I need. If I got this, then it would be enough. But what's going to happen? Once you get that thing, and many people do, they get the raise, they get the better job, or they get the job, they get the thing that they want, and it's not enough. You get that, and you're like, okay, that was cool. You know, for two seconds, you're like, yeah, I did it, I did it. Okay, now what? It's never enough. But for Paul, it was different. Paul's like, I've learned the secret. It's a secret, right? It's something that many people in this world don't know. The secret of being content in Christ. That knowing Christ through his power, I can can do anything. I, I don't need to go on searching. There's something in the power of Christ that is enough for me. Now, going back to our question, friends, so why isn't it enough for many Christians who we know these truths? Right? I mean, don't you think also Jacob? I mean, Jacob, you know, was born, you know, I mean, he's actually one of the descendants of Christ, so Christ wasn't in the world yet. Right, but I mean, if you had to ask Jacob, you know, what 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 is the, the the one thing that will satisfy you more than anything that would finally finally set your heart at peace? I mean, he knew the God of the Bible, right? I think Jacob would have said the same thing, but it wasn't until he had this wrestling match with God, right? And and he has this experience. His whole body is consumed in it, right? He's like, like I, I mean, I remember I had this like good news Bible where, where they, they had these like stick figures and they show Jacob wrestling uh, with God. And, and you see these two men who are like up against each other like this. And both their hands are cr- grasped onto each other, right? And this is the thing. This is the, the thing that for me, I, I think... Um, you know, shows me the difference of what what Jacob is experiencing when he's wrestling with God, right? Because his whole self is consumed with God, right? I mean, if you're going to wrestle God, you can't do that with one arm tied behind your back. You can't be doing anything else but just wrestling God, right? Can't go do your taxes at the same time. You can't go and, you know, play a video game. You can't be on your phone, right? Everything, everything is engaged in this, in, in this struggle with God, this wrestling match with God. And then finally, you know, I mean, he's like, I'm not going to let you go. I need this. I need this blessing. And it isn't until that moment 
It isn't until that moment that Jacob's striving all ceases. There were other things for Jacob up until that moment that were more important than God. And, and I think this is true of us as well. You know, you can say all the right things. Jacob believed in God, right? Jacob would have known up here that God is more important than anything. But he still had his idols. The approval of his father, right? The, the love of, of a woman, right? Like, I mean, it, it's this repeating theme for Jacob. He wants to be esteemed. He wants to be important. He wants to be loved. He wants to be accepted. And that, for Jacob, is more important than God. But in this moment, he cannot grasp anything else but God. And he's like, all I want in this moment is God. He has to let go of everything else. And when God gives it to him, it changes everything. No more striving. He has a new destiny. He has a new name. What about for us? This is the problem. That even though we may say we believe in God, we still have things that we are relying on more than God. You can say that you love God, right? But there are other things that we think will give us the satisfaction that God can't. So we have our hand in the cookie jar. We have our hearts over here. And you can say whatever you want. You can say you believe in God, but until those idols are dislodged from your life, it's not going to change anything. Your functional worship is not about God. It's about this world. Or it's about status. It's about getting some job. It's about getting the approval of your parents or the approval of other people. It's about getting love and affirmation from this world, right? Because as we've been talking about, when you don't have those things, you fall apart. If God was really God in your life and, and, and God was enough, if you didn't get those things, I mean, you might be a little disappointed, but you wouldn't fall apart, would you? Right? Because you have everything you really need. Everything else is kind of a bonus, right? Idols uh, uh, become an ultimate thing. You know, but if these things have a proper place in our life, you could lose it and still be okay. Still know who you are, right? And so um, I wanted to show you this, this quote from uh, Tim Keller that I, I thought was very appropriate to uh, what we've been talking about. And he says, idols cannot simply be removed. Uh, they must be replaced. If you only try to uproot them, they grow back, but they can be supplanted, right? And so sometimes you hear in these messages, you're like, okay, don't have an idol. Don't worship those things, right? But it's not enough. It's not enough to try to take those things out. Those idols will be replaced by something, right? If you just stop doing that thing or you stop pursuing that thing, your heart is going to chase after something else. You have to have something at your center. You have to have an object of worship. You have to have a functional God. And it's going to be the one true God or it's going to be another God. So idols have to be replaced. That's why I have this Indiana Jones thing. Do you ever see that thing where he replaces the idol with, with a weight of sand? but it doesn't weigh exactly the same, so therefore the, that, that's where the whole boulder comes and it's like chasing him, you know? But this whole thing, idols must be replaced. They must 
be supplanted by something greater, right? And it's almost as if that idol that is in your life, the reason why you're restless is because it doesn't quite fully fulfill. It doesn't fit in there perfectly. You kind of know, right? You're you're trying to make it fit, but it's not quite doing the trick. That's why you're restless. That's why it's not enough. And even for us who believe in Christ, we haven't fully supplanted that idol yet, right? How do we do that? Um, So Tim Keller uh, talks about this idea of not just hearing the gospel, but experiencing it in video. What does that mean? So what Tim Keller says is that you can hear a message, right? And, and I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Like, like if someone's talking to you or you're listening to a sermon, you know, maybe like, like you're washing dishes or you're doing something else, right? You can hear something and still be occupied with something else. But when you watch a video, all your senses are engaged, right? You, you, you got to pay attention. Have you ever tried to watch a video and do something else? It doesn't work. You're going to miss something. You always do. If you fully give that video your attention, you know, it's all immersive, right? It's just you and the message, right? And that's what he means by experiencing the gospel in video, is with all that you are to let it engage you, right? Because this is the problem. I think many of us hear the gospel, but we are still engaged in other things, right? Like like Jacob, he's wrestling God, and he's fully engaged, maybe for the first time in his life, but the first time in his life, it's just him and God, instead of one hand in the cookie jar, one hand trying to scheme, one hand trying to get blessings from other places, but now it's just him and God. But for us in this world that we live in, for many of us, you hear the gospel here, but you're like, yeah, but I still need that job. Yeah, but I still need this video game. I still need this thing to make me satisfied. How do I know that we do this? Because one of the main ways that you can experience the gospel in video, all your senses, is in spiritual disciplines, in prayer, in, in studying, memorizing, soaking in the scripture, in being silent before God, in worship. And so many of us can't do it. We can't sit still. Why? Because our hand is in the cookie jar. Right? We, we, we find these other things to be too important. Uh, uh, Pastor Steve, I can't do it. I can't do it. Too busy. I got this stuff to do. What are we doing? We're hustling. We're trying to get out of these things what only God can give you. Now, everything that we've talked about, jobs, relationships, I mean, even video games, they're not bad. They just can't be God for you. They will never be enough. They will never satisfy you. And so one of the things you can do is to fully experience the goodness of God, right? Now, the scripture doesn't talk about video because that didn't exist, but in Psalm chapter 34, it says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack, right? They know that they don't need anything. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. I I have a little picture there of uh, Guy Fieri, and I think this is someone from the Food Network, 
because uh, uh, do you guys ever watch like food shows? I love food shows, right? And, and you hear them like like you get to see the food that they're tasting. They describe it to you. They eat it in front of you, and you see their reaction. And they're like, mmm, it's so good. But this is the thing. It is no substitute. To see the food, to hear about the food, is no substitute for actually experiencing the food. Right? It doesn't say just look and see. Right? It says taste and see. You have to experience it. And I love this. Like, they got this, this full burger here. And you got to use both hands, right? You know, I mean, have you guys ever had a meal and didn't fully appreciate it because you were doing something else? You're like multitasking, you're on your phone, and you, you, you don't even taste it. But here, you, you see these people, both hands, they got that burger, that juicy burger, and it's just nothing but them and the burger, and just enjoy it, right? Can we do that with God? Can we grasp onto God with both hands? Not with one hand over here doing these things, you know? But can you make times in your life where it's just you and God? It's God in video, in full stereo, just experiencing the goodness of God. If you don't need to do that, I think you got to learn. It takes time. It's not something you learn overnight. Oftentimes when I try to pick up scripture and I'm super anxious, I bring that anxious spirit into it. And I just blow through it. I've got one eye on scripture and then the other eye on the project I have to do on the deadline, on the person I'm disappointing. I'm not experiencing God with both hands, with all that I am. I'm not fully engaged. And that's why sometimes now I'll take a walk around the park, kind of calm down a little bit, you know? And then I might listen to some scripture. I might listen to the praise song. For a lot of us, you know, when I talk about these things, you know, um, I've heard people say this, and, and you know, I, I was the same way too, so no judgment here. But I think sometimes people hear about these spiritual disciplines and they're like, oh yeah, this will cut down my anxiety. You know, I won't be as stressed. I'm like, okay, that's a side benefit. But what you are really trying to experience is not a calming thing, you know? It's not stress reduction. You are trying to be engaged with the God of the whole universe who is greater, more holy, and more satisfying that anything this world can offer. A little stress reduction pales in comparison to what God can fully give you. And he wants to give it to you. But are you willing to hold on with both hands? Are you willing to make the room in your life for your idols to be removed and for it to be replaced with the real thing, with the one thing that will truly, fully satisfy you? Praise team, can you guys come up? Friends, I, I want to ask you a question. And, you know, again, you guys are at home, and, you know, it, it, I just want you to answer in your own heart, in your own life. Have you experienced the goodness of God in this way? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And if we're being really honest, you know, when we say we want God, have we been willing to grab on with both hands? Have we been willing to stop, to lay down those other things we are seeking for a moment? Put down the phone. Put down our self-improvement project. To put down the thing that we're trying to get enjoyment out of or affirmation 
and just saying, it's just you and me, God. I will not leave until I've been blessed. I will not leave until I experience you. Have we learned to do that in life? I want to invite you. I can describe the burger to you. I can tell you how juicy it is and show you a picture of it. But it pales in comparison to actually experiencing it. So let's just take a moment and create this space in our life. If that's something you want, I want you to be able to say that out to God. You know, we're going to have to learn that discipline. We're going to have to learn how to set aside the other things that we keep reaching for, for satisfaction, to really learn that God is enough, right? But I do think that God listens to our intent. And I think we can proclaim with our lips, with our hearts, and say, God, I want you. I want to know you in this way. I haven't known you like this yet. Lord, I repent for the ways that I've been seeking after other things. But I know, God, that only you can satisfy. Everything else in this world, it will fade with time. doesn't matter how sweet the pleasures are. It doesn't matter how loud people's applause is. It all fades in the background, and we're left emptier than ever before. Save the one true blessing, the one true satisfaction that truly is enough, and it is you, your presence, your power, your grace. We want you and nothing else. we confess that we've been seeking after many things for our satisfaction. Lord, we have said many times before that only you will satisfy. But God, may we experience you in a way that we will know in our heart, in our head, in our bones, in every fiber of our being that it is true, that only Christ is enough for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.